You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt and not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, Enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Welcome to the Hunt of War podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 58, AJ Fusco and the Fork and Hose Company. Nick is joined by AJ Fusco, a trained culinary chef and professional firefighter out of Harrison, New York. AJ has mixed his passions of cooking and first responding into a blog entitled Fork and Hose Company. His once little startup to post his dishes has become a nationwide showcase of America's bravest showing off their culinary skills and being an advocate for improving the health of firefighters. Sound the alarm and buckle up. The show is about to start. Well, hey, folks, welcome to another incredible evening. Uh, We are now, especially here in the state of Michigan, it is now season. It is a celebration where we're able to go out and pursue our four-legged friends, those white-tailed deer that we've been longing for for so long. And even the small game opened up here in September, so we've already been mid-swing on those, and I'm sure there's plenty of guys hoping to just bring their 22 along with them to the deer woods and uh, smack a few of those little critters as they run around us. But we're going to take a time out, especially from, I guess you would say, the hunting side, and we're going to definitely dive in here into the culinary side. My guest tonight is somebody who 
is from the east side of the country here. And in fact, not only is he just from the east side, he sounds like he's from New York. AJ here is a firefighter, professional firefighter, who has found a niche inside of the kitchen, basically preparing amazing uh, restaurant-quality meals for firefighters, and not just keeping it to himself and his firehouse, but spreading the the good news about awesome food and being healthy. AJ, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Hey, Nick, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be uh, featured here on Hunt of War. I, uh, I, I'm going to say, I'm, I've gone a little bit of fanboy on you. Um, friend Uh-oh. of mine turned on, uh, turned me on to Fork and Hose and finding you on Instagram. And I can tell you that anytime that there's a little, little check mark coming up from uh, Fork and Hose, I get real excited because I see new dishes coming out. I'm seeing firefighters who are, are passionate about what they do. Uh, my brother is a volunteer firefighter here in our, our little okay. town. And I know that I'm, I'm watching him kind of become a family with those guys. And granted, they're on a volunteer basis. But when you're in such intense surroundings, you you really become close-knit. And I'm sure that's the same same side of, uh same kind of like relationships that you create with the other firefighters in your firehouse. Talk to me a little bit about the day to day of uh, being a, a professional firefighter. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I actually started off my fire service um, as a volunteer in the same department that I'm in right now. Uh, we're, we have what is called a combination department. So we have volunteers and we also have career uh, paid staff, which is uh, what I am right now. Um, so I know, you know, both, uh, sides of the story, I guess is one way to put it. Um, but you know, the term brotherhood is, is used quite often, um, maybe too much at at times, but, uh, it's a real thing. You know, it's, it's something that you, you know, it's hard to explain to somebody not in it or, or hard for maybe somebody outside of the fire service to completely understand. Um, but when you're in situations where you have to depend on um, the people around you, uh, you kind of forge this bond. And uh, what, what I noticed early on in, in my career was that it didn't have to necessarily be on the fire ground. It actually started in the, the kitchen of the firehouse. Um, so that's kind of where I realized how important, you know, the kitchen was uh, and especially, you know, the, the camaraderie and the bond that you create inside of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing, you know, you hear it a lot, maybe get thrown around in the media and that kind of thing, but it, it's, it's certainly a thing. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I was on a couple and I get, it's a far stretch, but like I was on a wrestling team for, I would say four years at the varsity level, um, okay. at our small little school and being such a small school and such a long season, I can kind of see where it, like we just spent so much time together both on the yeah. mat and then basically you know at that point cutting weight or making sure each other are healthy and really pushing each other and it's like you you get the best and the worst out of people in those situations where oh yeah. you know it'd be a dog <laughs> fight you know as you're, you're up on there and two guys are going for one position on the starting lineup and you know at the end of it you got fists thrown you got people screaming oh, sure. names at one another but at the same time you know next day it's you know you you'd give your shirt off your back for uh, the guy that's out there, even though, you know, 24 hours later you were, you know, screaming at him. So it, it's amazing how 
yeah, you, you, you bottle thing up basically in like a little pressure cooker at that point and uh-huh. how uh, instantly these bonds are made. So that's um, that's just great to see. It's, it's fun to know that. And, I mean, America's Bravest, you guys go through so much um, in and around the firehouse and then actually being the first responders to crisis scenarios. you got to come in and be the level head, but at the same time, you got to be the force that goes in there to either get people or be able to put that fire out. So I'm sure that has tons of training that goes along with that. How many years uh, did it take you to go through, uh, through fire training? Uh, well, so like I said earlier, I, I started off in the volunteers. Uh, and to do that, I had to take, uh, I don't know, it was probably two or three classes. I don't remember, honestly, the weeks that those took. But then uh, I did that for about two years. And then when I got hired, I was in the academy for 14 weeks. And then, you know, after that, it's continuous training every year. So it's not like, you know, you do it once and then they give you a certificate and you're like, good to go for the rest of your career. You know, you got to upkeep uh, all your training, especially now, because it's not the way it used to be, you know, 30 years ago, where basically you went, you put fires out, you went back to the firehouse and you waited for the next one. There's, you know, hazmat incidents that we respond to now. Uh, you have medical calls, you have, um, so the motor vehicle accidents are different. So every year, you know, your training kind of evolves and, and adapts to, to the technology and, and, and that, that sort of thing. So I don't think you could really put a true number on it, but, uh, it, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that they're at least keeping you on your toes, that they're, they're helping you equip, basically equipping you for today's crisis you know like yeah it's not just fires anymore it's it's anything and everything yeah it's um, almost like the, the the term fire department should probably be a uh, changed yeah. <laughs> Emerge, emergency department would probably be better fit you know for that <laughs> you betcha you know it may be a fire in someone's head at that point you know you got right hot, right yeah, sure, people yeah. are just freaking out and you got to go in and 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 basically save the it's day the worst day yeah <laughs> But that wasn't your first training. Your your upbringing, uh, I guess professionally, would be a culinary upbringing. You were top of your class at the International Culinary Center. Am I correct? Yeah, but surprisingly enough, I actually started that pretty late um, in 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 my career. So I've been a fireman for fifteen years, um, but I didn't start culinary school till twenty sixteen. So. I was pretty well into the fire service uh, and it got to a point where, you know, my wife literally just asked me a question one day. She said, you know, if you weren't a fireman, what would you want to do? And I said, I'd want to be a you know, cook somewhere. So she said, do it. And I didn't think it was possible to be honest because, you know, the schedules that we work, um, they're a little crazier than your typical nine to five. Uh, but luckily at the time, the international culinary center in Manhattan, they had a, a night program. So, I was able to, to make it work and, um, you know, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm always learning. I I love, you know, training, whether it's fire department stuff, cooking, you know, that kind of thing. I'm always down for that. So how many years did it, did you take classes then at the, at the culinary center? It's surprisingly, it's actually not years. Uh, it was, oh, wow. It was like a year and I think mine was about a year, a little over a year it took just because the, the the only program that I can make work with my firehouse schedule was the two, two uh, nights a week. Um, like I said, it was 
think our class started at seven. We went seven to uh, 10 or 1030. Can't remember correct. Um, and, you know, we, I did that for a while. And then uh, you, you, you have to do an, it's called an externship. So it's basically a paid internship. Um, and you do that for, uh, I think it was about six months. And then, uh, then you're set free <laughs> <laughs> to go, to go work somewhere. Gotcha. So like, were some of your, like, say like, like you, you walked in and did you have a like cuisine that you were in or was this like full on like French kitchen boot camp where they basically shot you mise en place and the different uh, knife work cuts and basically just threw everything at you at once? So it, it was called the French Culinary Institute for a long time. And what they realized is not everybody wants to cook French food. But uh, they also knew that French, um, you know, classic French cooking techniques were extremely important as a base, you know, for your foundation. So they made the smart move of changing the name to International Culinary Center and adding, you know, a dean of, uh, you know, Italian um, cooking. You know, they, they added a pastry department. You know, they, they changed the programs to to sort of appeal to everybody. Um, so what we were basically taught was a lot of French technique, um, a good amount of French recipes, but they, they emphasize the fact that you can take a French, um, you know, cooking technique and apply it to, you know, Asian cooking or Italian cooking. And so they, they, I think they, you know, they made it more of a well-rounded program. Um, but the, the basic, you know, foundation of French cooking was definitely there for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Again, like a lot of my, I guess, training is basically reading books, um, by either chefs or, uh, just, you know, a cookbook and basically right. finding a technique and then trying it on myself and then, or gleaning something off of either YouTube or, or the internet. Um, so it's, it's very interesting to hear like, you know, yeah, that, basically we we came in and then to have somebody that basically trained you trained you in these uh french techniques to then expand out into whatever area you are because i i guess for just from my point of view like i look at it and like there's this french kitchen that's basically a boot camp in there that you start at the very bottom and yeah your mise en place was basically preparing everything and so you got to know your cuts and yep. and stuff like that but then from that you you end up stepping your way through and eventually you get to become the head chef someplace um right where you're able to to kind of like make things your own now you mentioned your your internship no now was that where you jumped over and were, was working with april bloomfield or did you actually then apply for that position nope that was uh so the way it worked is you would you would give the school, you know, uh, a list of say 10 places that, you know, you were interested in, in getting an externship at and they would kind of help place you. And I got lucky because at that time, April was opening up a brand new restaurant uh, on the Upper West Side, which was uh, also a butcher shop. So they were at the time, you know, open for a couple of weeks, I think. And uh, still looking for staff. So uh, 
the opportunity came up. I went in, I did the interview and, uh, I was able to get the position that I, that I was looking for. So it worked out in my favor for sure. Um, especially considering, you know, I, I could have gone to a couple other places, but, but I, I knew that this was a better fit for me and, and, it, and I, and it, you know, worked out. Thank God. Well, good deal. Being a butcher shop, did you work with primals or like, uh, basically like pieces that are already cut like quarters or was it more of a a whole animal butchery at that point where then you were cutting off basically nose to tail at this restaurant was that the was that the emphasis at that time or was did that come later no that i mean right from the get-go uh we it was it was basically two separate departments you know you had the butcher department and then you had the restaurant uh side of it um but the butchers would get they would get uh quarters of uh, beef and then we would get half pigs and we would get uh, whole chickens we would get duck occasionally um, and they would break things down to uh, basically a, a level where you know the kitchen staff would get it and it's basically clean ready to go um, but the cool thing about it was that they were breaking meat down you know, 10 feet away from you in in most cases. So the process was always kind of uh, co-mingling with the cooking aspect. You know, it was pretty, uh, pretty much a a team effort, you know, to make it, to make it work. So you saw that from the very beginning, you know, the animal coming in on a rail or at least like the section coming in on a rail and then being able to then break that down. You're seeing that muscle like, okay, that's, that's where it's at. And now I'm supposed to make a dish from that depending on where that was on the animal, you know, further away from the hook, you could give it a quick sear and call it good. But the further down you got uh, closer to the ground, closer to the hoof, you were going to have to do a different technique on it. You're going to have to do like a low and slow on that. That's really neat uh, to have both departments basically working side by side. And at the same time, I'm sure a butcher was like, you know, they'd see the, the menu come through and like, all right, well, I can't, I can't give them shank on this point. I can't, we're not doing not so yeah. we're, we're doing something else. It, it was a constant, I wouldn't call it a battle, but, you know, there was certain cuts that they, you know, they wanted in the case just because that's what was selling uh, while, you know, the chefs were getting, I wouldn't call them the off cuts per se, but maybe like, you know, the not so popular ones. And, and it was up to the chef to basically come up with a game plan that would entice a diner to say, okay, I'll try that, you know? Um, so it was, it was always, a, you know, it was a, it was like a it was a friendly battle we'll we'll call it. Gotcha. Yeah, they're gonna hand you something because like this is all we got. I don't have I don't have yeah. loin forever, folks. We're gonna have to exactly. figure something out. Exactly. Oddest dish that you had to make from something. Do you have one that just sticks out from from your day there at the uh, during the internship of there at Bloomfields? What uh, uh, oddest dish that you had to make out of there? I wouldn't say it was odd per se, um, you know, depending, I guess, on where you would go. Uh, but we did uh, chicken hearts that we that we we battered, deep fried, and we served them, uh, served them with like almost like a remoulade. And it, it's not odd, but it's it's still kind of like that. You know, it's chicken heart. You know, it's not an easy sell, but it was kind of like the approach where you 
you try it and, and you know, you, you're going to get most people to give it a shot. So I, I'd say that's probably the, the oddest thing we, we served. Um, and, and a lot of times it was trial and error. You know, if, if the chef came up with something and it didn't work, you, you probably never saw it again. But, but that dish, you know, was popular the whole time I was there just cause it's, you know, it's deep pride. <laughs> um, Last episode I had, and I, I wanted to feature an offcut. Um, I'm kind of doing a mini series, and it's basically the fifth quarter. And I go through yep. um, the bits that are from either from the gut or from you know a lesser known cut or somebody you know something that people should try. You know, and a lot of guys right. that get their deer um, when either deer or I mean hog cow you name it liver is always one of those like polarizing things like either folks run to it or they they run away from it and you gave me a bang out recipe uh from bloomfield from april bloomfield's restaurant where you guys basically turned it into a pate um you had a whole whole order of uh, ingredients that were was in there um and then there was a french wine uh or excuse me not a french wine an italian wine that i've i've never heard of before um but that seemed like a really home run uh, recipe, something that I probably could even do in my own rudimentary kitchen here. The only piece of equipment I would really need would be a uh, uh, food, food processor. processor. Yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty much it. It's it's we called it a mousse because it it was lighter than a pate. You know, the addition of uh, the butter kind of emulsifies it, and it and the, the food processor sort of aerates it at the same time. So you, you get this, it's, it's a, a, a pleasant texture. It's not like, you know, some pâtés could kind of be off, you know, pudding. Uh, it, it's, it's a, it's a really great recipe. And it, and like I, I said to you, I'm not a huge liver guy. Like I, I to be honest, usually I don't like it. Uh, but there's a handful of dishes that I've had that, that that I that I actually enjoy it. This is definitely one of them, for sure. I grew up trying to eat, you know, the liver and onions thing because my father, you know, that's that's like his jam. He loves that, but uh, I just I can't do it. <laughs> I, I I should probably try to cook it myself. Maybe maybe I could figure out a way to do that. Uh, but anytime somebody else has made it for me, I just I don't have I don't have it in me. Yeah, yeah. I I had one and I, I didn't pick it up. I didn't eat liver growing up, and so it wasn't until I started putting animals down myself that it was like you know what right. I should probably be uh, using more of of what I've got right. here. It's a it's a gift. I might as well give it a give it a shot. And kind of like you, my first couple attempts, you're definitely like, oof, where's where's the dog at? I just I just made him some more food yeah. here. Um, I had one where I did. Uh, basically the liver and onions but i made it more of like a liver diane where okay i made a, a sauce basically added cream into uh the liver or excuse me into the onions and peppers that i had in there and that seemed to i don't want to say make it less uh livery but it really played on that like steak diane piece sure it. sure and it yeah, yeah it brought a little bit more i mean it's already rich but i think it kind of took away a little bit of that ironness just a little bit with that right. cream um but yeah, yeah, that was my one home run that I had with uh, 
keep that in your back pocket. Exactly. Right? <laughs> if I if I'm left with liver, it's like at least this could you know this is something that I could eat. And I mean, the yeah. wife she looked at it all right. She had a couple pieces. I think she ate it just to appease me to like yeah. <laughs> there i did it now don't make me do it again sort she, of thing she, she had the plane underneath the table for the dog exactly exactly that was one thing that the uh sorry if i sound nasally we're, we're fighting a head cold in this in this house <laughs> oh that's but, all right. uh we uh we used every part of the animal at that restaurant so we would actually use beef fat in our deep fryers instead of uh you know peanut oil or something like that we we made beef stock, chicken stock, pork stock, lamb stock, uh, all the trimmings, you know, whether it's vegetables or, or from the animal got used. So it, it taught me to respect that, you know, and respect the animal, uh, respect the vegetable, whatever it is, and to use as much of it as you can. We, you know, beef livers aren't super popular for people. So we ended up making them into dog treats. <laughs> Just because, you know, like you said, you know, it's it's better to use it than let, than let it go to waste. Exactly. It's that gift that's been given. You know, that animal basically exactly. ultimate sacrifice at that point gave its life and whatever you can use. So and even if, you know, yep. yeah, it didn't make a person happy, but it made that dog just so excited <laughs> to have that treat. Yep. Yeah, it learned to sit and now you're golden yeah. with the uh, with the liver. Um, jumping on that from one celebrity chef to another this one more on the um more of the uh tv chef the t yeah tv chef you were uh a contestant on guys grocery games that is one of my family's go-to's when it comes to like we all have to watch tv together that is one that we can go to i don't know if it's just from the spiky hair and the bleached uh (laughs) the bleach tips but i think it's just the zany different challenges that are inside of that that gets my uh first grader and my uh my kindergartner all all excited about it. they love that show and so to you know dig further as i was preparing for this i was like no way aj was on guys grocery games and not just yeah. on it you won yeah yeah surprisingly to some <laughs> yeah no i won uh i won the first time and then they, they ended up bringing me back on for uh they call it a tournament of champions and i i lost the second round in that one unfortunately but uh but yeah i uh i had a great time on that it was a great show good deal i uh i brought that up uh actually this morning um i was at a coffee shop before i had to start teaching this morning i already had the kids off uh to their stuff and so i actually had to search around and find it but i got a chance to uh to watch the final showdown between you and and another firefighter he was from miami Yep. And yes, you had to beat out one heck of an enchilada that that guy yeah. put together. That seemed like a dang good dish, but you pulled it out with it was it wasn't a taco, was it a nacho that you put together? It was uh it was like a a deconstructed like uh just Mexican fiesta, you know, kind of on a plate. I I figured he would come with with something more uh traditional, so I wanted to to kind of use the creative angle and so i just figured if i kind of deconstruct everything that people love about mexican food and, and prepare it right put it on the plate plate it up nice i figured it, i could i could pull it off and luckily it worked out <laughs> i also saw the challenge too it looked like you had an advantage being as short as you are that the little cart, yeah, the baby the cart, cart that really fit into your uh your wheelhouse at that point yeah, you seem to handle that real well 
<laughs> yeah, there's a supermarket around here that has those. I, I use those on a regular basis, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's part of my training. It's yeah. Again, that's one of my favorites because I feel like I would do awesome. I'm standing a full 5'8", and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's that's my realm right there. Give me the baby cart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> No, it was fun. That was a that was a good challenge too. Um, from that, well, you had already started uh, Fork and Hose Company at that point. In fact, they were featuring you. One of the reasons I think they featured you on there is because you had created this website and this blog of Fork and Hose Company. Um, yeah. That's been a passion of yours for quite a while. Uh, when did when did the blog start? I mean, obviously after culinary, but. Uh, you were no, it was pre culinary, pre culinary, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, I started it about I want to say it was about seven years ago, um, yeah, seven or eight years ago. It, it started off real, real slow, uh, and it, it wasn't so much of a blog like I have now, where I, I feature you know firefighters from all over the world. It was just my own stuff, and you know, every time I made a recipe, I would put it up on a website that. I thought I knew how to create, <laughs> you know, it was one of those basic templates and I, and I just used it. And, uh, I started off doing that and I realized pretty quickly, like just talking to people, you know, talking to other firefighters around here that I'm not the only guy doing this, you know, there's other firefighters that are cooking in the firehouse. So I went from sharing my own stuff to, you know, sharing a couple friends around here. And then honestly, when Instagram came out, that's when it, it kind of blew up because I was able to connect to, to other firehouse chefs so much quicker, you know, just search a hashtag firehouse chef. And, you know, I was seeing these amazing dishes and then that's, that's kind of the point when it took off, but uh, it started off originally just, you know, like a little, little side hobby, I guess you could call it, but uh, it's, it's definitely grown since then. Yeah. I did. A, I pulled an excerpt um, from, basically the about section where you're telling us a little bit about fork and hose and the excerpt that I pulled out here. And I quote, we love to share healthy recipes and cooking tips in hopes of changing the current epidemic facing the fire service, which is over 50% of line of duty deaths occur due to cardiac related incidences. And this change starts at the kitchen table. That is, that's staggering stats right there, AJ. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a stat that you know most people don't know because it's not the glamorous side of it, right? Like it's not you know guys saving baby or trying to save babies, and you know it's dropping dead of heart attacks. It's, you know, there's no there's nothing glamorous about it, and unfortunately, it doesn't get the attention that it deserves because of that. But uh, you know, I figured one thing I could do to help, you know, help maybe create a little bit of change and just get to get, get firefighters to eat a little bit healthier. You know, it doesn't, I'm not saying like I'm going to create a diet or change somebody's lifestyle around completely, but if it's one dish a week that they eat a little better, you know, that's, that's a home run for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the lifestyle, I think of a firefighter too, again, I'm on the outside looking in, but it's one of those of like you're you're at zero to a hundred miles an hour at any given point where oh yeah you, there's nothing going on there there's no there's no bells there's no emergency so you you clean the floor for the fifth time or you you know make you roll the hoses back up again and then basically re re put pack that you know repack your uh, 
your gear again and again. And at that point, it, you can become, I don't know, snacking is always there. Anytime I'm home, that's the terrible thing about being oh, yeah. home, especially during this uh, yeah. quarantine we had. Crazy time I walk period, through yeah. the kitchen every single time. And, yep. you know, I'm, I'm walking away with some leftover or something. And it's not, it, it's not one single thing. Like, I didn't eat a whole big thing of cream cheese at that point. But at the same time, you know three oreos every time you go through the house like that's that's gonna add up and there's almost no chance you're going into a firehouse and there's not some box of cookies or you know a box of donuts on the table it's just uh there's always something to eat but uh if you could just change you know at least maybe like lunch or maybe change dinner and you know cheat the rest of the way you know you're, you're a little better off Awesome. Well, I, hey, I commend you on on this mission and having that right there Thank on you. the about like that is something huge. And just like you said, it's not it it's not going to change everybody's lifestyle all to once. And it's it's not a workout right. program. And you know, people got they got to take care of themselves as well. But at the same time, one little change here and there, you know what? Maybe somebody at that one little change, they finally say, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna kick off eating you know, extra carbs, or I'm just going to, I'm going to kick the cookies and make one extra step. And that's eventually going to make, uh, dividends down the end. So, Hey, that is, this is an awesome thing. And when I I read that, I was like, Oh, I definitely got to say something about that. Don't get me wrong though. We still share cheeseburgers and pizza, you know, (laughs) we're, we're equal opportunity here. We don't like to discriminate against any other foods. Well, good deal. I'm glad that those at least are getting consumed, but maybe a few laps yeah. around the around the place <laughs> yeah, as well. Exactly. Because exactly. yeah, um, I, I like you even said where you said that you know the change starts at the kitchen table. Referencing that the kitchen table is so important. Um, I can imagine in the firehouse that you know that that kitchen is always buzzing. That's like a probably a center hub. It's kind of cliche sure. that we say. Um, you know, like the, the kitchen table, like dad's waiting with the kids around the table. Mom's bringing out the dinner that she's slaved over. It's like that 1950s, just in a smaller unit where right. you're at home. I've even seen it just where we we try to carve out as much time with, with our kids, not in necessarily a structured time, but just time to be together. You know, I got three Put little the phones ones. away, shut the TV kind of deal. Yeah. Try to just <laughs> kind of block can, everything right? out. And we've actually right. transitioned to like the Island. If I can get everybody to sit and at least look at their food, maybe touch it. Yep. Like <laughs> that's good. The little one, he's, he hasn't quite got the eating down yet. He likes to make a mess more than anything. The middle of one, course. I think he's, he's got kind of a growth spurt going. Cause now he'll start, Uh-oh. he'll finish his and then he'll go for the little brothers. Yeah, the, well, I sent him to the little brothers first to try and create a little bit That's of panic smart. in the little right, guy. Right, right. <laughs> you know that scarcity thing, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Dog, now, dog. he hasn't flinched yet. That, that hasn't happened. But just the whole idea that if we're going to make a change, it's going to start at that hub. It's going to start yep. at the kitchen table. That's such a such a cool thing uh, that you've been able to make. So you said now it's even taken off to where. It's not just you as a creator at this point. It's now like a a whole nationwide thing where people can add to it, or at least other firehouses can add to it as well. Yeah, we, you know, I, I, every day when I open up my my Instagram or Facebook, I have I have guys from you know as far away as Germany, sometimes uh, Greece, Hawaii, California, 
And the cool thing about it is you see like the regional differences in the cooking as well. It's not just, you know, uh, pizza, you know, from New York. It's, you know, I'm getting sushi, handmade sushi in a firehouse in California. It's crazy. Now, if we are going to quick talk about pizza, I'm going to take a tangent here. Uh-oh. You don't even, do you even recognize deep dish as a pizza? Uh, not really. And I did have it. I went to Chicago a couple years ago. I just, I, it's a great food. <laughs> it's a great food. It just, you know, I don't know. I can't, I can't really call that a pizza. And I'm, I'm pretty open as far as pizza. You know, I, I like uh, most styles, but to call that pizza, I think you're pushing the, the, the limit a little bit. Yeah, it's more of a casserole at that point. You know, yeah, fancy you know, lasagna, circle lasagna, fork and knife. <laughs> I think you know. Although Neapolitans eat, eat their pizza with forks and knives, but their pizza is definitely pizza. <laughs> gotcha. I'm a I'm a New York style. I I love the new the big floppy piece. That's you know I got to yep. fold it. I got the three fingers. The dollar uh, slice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm all about that. And here in Michigan now, the the Detroit style has started to like take off a little yeah. bit. And I'm it, I can do one of those maybe once in a while, but give me the big. There's floppies. a place actually near me. They opened up a Detroit style pizza. I haven't been to it yet, but but apparently it's good. Gotcha. So to give it a shot. It's it's all about the crust at that point. It's right. The crispy crust it's like on the butter inside. or something. Do they use butter? Or yeah. Is it cheese that, this is like that, you're not right? gonna find this on fork and hose. I can definitely tell you that. Uh, uh, but they never say never, man. They, I've okay. Some crazy shit. Crazy stuff before. I believe there's a ton of butter that's melted and then goes underneath the dough, okay. and then it, that's a, then absorbed into it. So yeah, it's basically right, right, right. it's an artery clogger. I'll have to reach out to my my Detroit buddies about this. Figure that out. All right, here's another one then for you too. Chili, beans or no beans? Ah, uh, it depends. <laughs> I, I'm not like uh, I don't hate on either. To be honest, if if I'm making what I like to call an eating chili, you know, where I'm sitting there with a spoon and I'm going to eat it, I, I actually like beans in mine, but. Uh, if it's going on like a hot dog or a cheeseburger or something like that, I don't I don't put beans. So gotcha. I, I I like to tailor it to to how I feel. I guess. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, I like to fire I know up that the Texas guys. <laughs> yeah, I could spark a huge debate. I don't. Know, I just love to rile people up, especially when it's something like that. And I see it myself too. Like all of a sudden, I put my line. You know, I put my foot in the sand. Like no, I'm right. I'm going to make my stop here. And of course, someone's going to push push me over it. For sure. Um, AJ, you're, uh, you're a chef, you're a fireman. Are are you at all a sportsman? Cause I was, I was surprised to hear that, uh, you, you weren't a deer hunter at all. No. Yeah. Believe it or not. Uh, you know what? I'm not, but I grew up around it. You know, my grandfather hunted, uh, my uncle's hunt, uh, or my uncle hunts, I should say. And I have a ton of friends that hunt. So I think what ended up happening is I was always provided the meat. <laughs> I never had to go out and harvest it. So I guess I got spoiled in that, in that sense. Uh, and I would say the past few years, every year I said, all right, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do it. And every year it just, it goes away. And, and, I, and I never get a chance to get out into the woods, but uh, I'm lucky enough where I work with, with guys that hunt. Uh, I have friends that give me meat. So, uh, you know, it's it's like I'm spoiled. <laughs> I think I'm just spoiled. 
yeah, at that point, you know, they, they put all the work in and then you get the, the reward on the right. end. Right. Have, exactly. uh, I, I have this like vision in my head of like one of the, one of the firefighters going out, getting himself a couple deer, driving them back to the firehouse and like behind the firehouse, like either you like raise up the ladder and hang them from the ladder. Are you, are you butchering deer on the backside of, uh, the firehouse here? Uh, well, we, we can't hang them. That's for sure. We, you know, we're, we're, we're still, you know, surrounded by neighbors and that kind of thing. I think they'd be pretty freaked out if they saw, you know, a bunch of animals hanging. Gotcha. Uh, but last year I did a friend of mine. He, he, he got me a couple legs that, that I butchered in the back, but it's a patio that's surrounded by a fence. So it didn't look like a, a big, uh, bloody mess from the outsiders. But, uh, yeah, guys will get fish, you know, a lot of guys fish. So we'll bring it back to the firehouse. We'll, 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 we'll butcher them up there. Uh, you'll get some, some venison, you know, that, that we, we break down a little bit, but nothing crazy. We're not hanging animals. That's for sure. Gotcha. Like that just seems like the most American yeah. picture right there. Right. There's a bunch of firefighters butchering up. Yeah. A hind quarter of a deer that they've brought in or like flaying out a big old, uh, rainbow trout or a salmon that they got. I feel like a eagle's flying over con at the same time yeah. as that's happening. Like that's such Listen, an I'm image. I'm not saying it doesn't happen <laughs> elsewhere. Believe me. I, I'm not saying it doesn't happen elsewhere. It just doesn't happen in my firehouse. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now this, this, the, the stuff that they gather, you end up then being able to cook that up for, for your firehouse as well. Are you, are you the sole guy that's, that's in the kitchen or do you have a crew that kind of just rotates in and out? Like that you've all share this cooking passion. Uh, there at the firehouse uh it, it's I, I mean i cook a lot uh i wouldn't say that i'm the sole you know chef in the firehouse but i i definitely cook most of the meals but if a guy wants to cook something that he's really in the mood for or that he really enjoys uh cooking i 100 i hand over the reins and let them do their thing i know talking to other firefighters though there's, you know, some firehouses only have shifts, you know, so it's, you know, one day it's the engine company's turn, the next day it's the ladder company. So it, it kind of depends on the firehouse. Gotcha. Have you found a guy that's passionate about dishes? <laughs> nope. <laughs> but the Still general found rule them. is if you cook, you don't clean. That's pretty much a standard firehouse rule. Does that also apply at home or is that all of a sudden vetoed? Yes. It, it, it does uh, no, apply I, at home. I, yeah, I brought that home, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I like to clean as I go, though, so there's not too much of a mess. So I, I would say I, I do contribute a little bit. There you go. There you go. Well, I'm going to kind of take a jump back, uh, kind of like with your, your culinary upbringing, and to yeah. kind of give us a little bit of education because uh, sure. a lot of my listeners were, were really looking to step up our game. And like myself, they're, they're either self-taught they're they're learning from folks like you, either online or, or from this podcast or something. Um, yep. So we're always gleaning something. Talk to us a little bit. I want to start first off. Like, what are the five mother sauces? I, I keep I've heard this term now like several times, and they they've always say like some either five or seven. I'm not even sure the number, but these mother sauces in French cooking. But then they never go through and like explain each of them, and I'm always left like, dang, I missed it. What was that? So what are those uh, five sauces? I gotta, I, now I gotta remember those. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, 
let's see, velute, uh, which is, uh, it's like a chicken, I guess you could call it like a chicken-based sauce. Uh, Espanol, which is uh, sort of like a tomato-based. Hollandaise. Uh, let's see. You have bechamel, which is probably the most popular. Uh, I'm missing one more. This is the fifth. Oh, shit. I can't remember the last one. Uh, but yeah, You could say anything. It would be like, oh, yeah, we yeah. eat it up. <laughs> yeah. You know what it is? I, those five sauces, you, you they're more of a base for other ones, but I don't, I don't cook, uh, I don't cook so much French stuff anymore. So, you know, it, I, I would say bechamel is, is definitely the, the most popular uh, and probably the most versatile with, with uh, a lot of the cooking that I do. And like Espanol, it's tomato based. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's on its own. It's not much, but, but you know, you can use it as a base for, for something else for sure. Gotcha. That would be like something that you would make like basically into a, a soup at that point and then beef it up into a marinara. Is that what you're think? Is that what you're, it's kind of like? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't call it a marinara just because uh, a marinara to me is totally different. But it, it it's a base. Like you said, though, it could be a base for for, uh, you know, soups or or sauces. Uh, it's. It's kind of like a foundation. Uh I'm trying. This is not going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> it could, it could, it could. You know, you could use it as a, as like a, a brown sauce. There's a lot. There's a lot of sauces that that are made from these. But you know, to, to kind of single them out is, I don't know. Gotcha. I don't. I don't do it often. Because yeah, that's. I tomato. wondered where tomato. That's the fifth. Oh, okay. That's the fifth. Because I look at those and I'm like, where, like, where does the pan sauce? And maybe that's just a term that, or maybe that's not even a mother sauce at all. Because I find that if I'm going to make a sauce at all, that's really basically the route that I've gone. Is right. I've seared something or I've cooked something, I've removed the meat or you know veggies, and I'm left with this fond, this stuff all over the pan. And yep. from there, I, I deglaze it, add a little more stock in there. That's not considered a mother sauce. That's just a, a pan sauce. That's just a different technique altogether. Yeah. yeah, and pan sauce is pretty open to interpretation. You know, it's it's I think the, the the simplest explanation is it's a sauce made in the same pan that you cooked your protein. You know, that's probably this the simplest way to put it. But you could use a variety of different uh you know, liquids to deglaze, you know, so it could be a wine, it could be uh, water, it could be a stock. Uh, I think people underestimate the the uses of water when it comes to stuff like that. You know, everybody assumes like you have to use a wine or a stock or something like that. But if all you have on hand is water, use it. <laughs> because like you said, you have the fond on the bottom of the pan, that's going to pick up a lot of flavor. So that water is going to turn into something great. So uh, you're you're not missing out by using something from the tap at that point. You're still going to get not. you're still going to get a lot of flavor from it. Yeah, you, if you season it all up, you know, with a little salt, uh, you, you'd be surprised at the flavor you can pull out of a pan with just water. 
So let's say you're cooking up. Let's let's go easy. I'll go with like a, sure. a backstrap. You're you're searing up a backstrap off venison, New York venison yep. at this point. What uh, what's a quick pan sauce that you're throwing together that's going to make those flavors just work together? What's a a basic AJ venison sauce? I, I think shallots are are probably my favorite go to uh, when it comes to like a pan sauce because. They're not as harsh as like a, a regular onion, you know. They're they're much more mild, uh, so I, I kind of like that for a sauce because it won't overpower whatever it is I'm using. You know, in this case, venison. So I would say uh, I would mince or dice up some shallots, garlic. I, uh, I, I'm a little iffy with pan sauces and garlic, only because you know if you don't pay attention, you could you run the risk of burning them pretty quickly. Uh, but I'd say shallot. I'm going to deglaze it with, I like, I like red wine when it comes to venison, especially uh, when it comes to like a pan sauce. So I would, I would definitely deglaze with some red wine. And then this, this is a case for, I think maybe some, some water to be honest, or, or, or chicken stock, something a little lighter. Uh, Cause I think, you know, if you start going to like beef stock or, or something like that, you know, you're going to overpower the venison. So uh, something lighter. And I would cook that down to, not dry, but, but almost, you know, completely evaporated. Uh, and then at that point, that's when I'm going to add some butter because that is the secret weapon, uh, of most restaurant sauces. Uh, that's what gives sauce body. It gives it flavor, but it also, it, it gives it that, that sheen that, that, that looks so nice on top of the plate. Uh, so, so that's, that's, probably my go-to right there maybe if i have any fresh time on hand i I like time with that as well gotcha i always get worried as like you know i put my either my stock or or something in there and i start to see that sauce like start to basically whittle itself down i'm seeing moisture evaporate and i start to get nervous at that point so i I pull it off that point you're saying you know keep on going there and then if i'm going to add the moisture back in make that the butter at that point yeah it's it's you know it you could you could screw it up pretty easily. It's not, you know, the easiest thing to get right, but this is another time when keeping a little cup of water next to the stove can make a world of a difference. You're cooking it down. You, you, you don't pay attention. You know, maybe something's on the TV and you turn your head away. And the next thing you know, the pan looks like it's, it's, it's completely dry. You add a couple splashes of water. It's going to bring it back to life. And then you, you just pay attention. And when it gets down to that point where it seems like, the right time you add a couple knobs of butter and you're, you're you'll be golden i love that tip just to have like a cup of water at the yeah. ready at all times in school we had uh we had a squirt bottle of water almost always at at, at the ready just for cases like that nice nice i'm, I'm writing that down as we speak <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great little trick, and it, it won't add anything to the dish. You know, it won't add flavor, so you don't have to worry about that. It just brings it back to life. Gotcha. So we just worked with a little bit of backstrap on that one, and I yep. want you to say to try and take us off the beaten path a little bit. Um, as we get in, on this creative side, and you know, you're always trying to adapt things. At least I know in in, in my cooking, like if I have the same cut served the same way day after day after day now granted i'm i'm a leftovers guy i'll eat that all week but at the same time i i want to take a a backstrap and use it several different ways or like my 
my white whale is the, always the ribs. I'm always trying to find a better way to use it than what I did the previous. Um, talk to us a little bit about shoulders and like front quarters, either like, you know, you've got experience with venison. Um, but if it, if it does come down to like, we're using lamb or something where those shoulders just have a ton of connective tissue and we know that the stuff, the stoop, the stew pot is where they do a ton of wonder in there. How are you best utilizing your front quarters, your front shoulders, either of venison, lamb, or some of those ungulates? How are, how are you using those? I think when it comes to those, you there's a reason those dishes work is because they they do all the things you need to do to those those muscles and the you know the connective tissue. You know it's that low and slow. Let let the 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 heat sort of take care of business when it comes to those those connective tissues uh because that it's a tough it's a tough you know area that gets a lot of work so those braises uh the stews that that sort of thing that as much as you want to get creative with stuff like that it's like you're always going to go back to to the same uh technique it's what you do to it uh how is how you can make it, you know, kind of unique or get creative, but that, that braising and the, the, the slow roasting and that kind of thing, that's, that's ultimately, you know, the way to go with those. Good deal. I feel like I've been hit the nail on the head. Cause that seems like always, like I'm always writing slow on, on my labels. At least I'm, you know, shoulder slow. Right. And so when I pull right. it out, that's exactly what I'm, I'm thinking for that, that thing. Um, how about the, like the larger cuts, of the hind legs. So if I take apart a hind leg and I got, uh, I got my top round, my bottom round. I, I really like the inside, uh, round off that where I can pull that off and I kind of hide that off to the side. And if I'm making tender like an lines, eye round, yeah, like an eye round inside yeah. round, eye round. Um, I can kind of hide that in as like a, Hey, this is tenderloin. Cause it is super dang tender. Yeah. Um, other than like, you know, I, I like to do like a, like a roast venison off of it or like, and then basically slice it into the sandwich meat at that point. At least that's the best round that I've got or the best way that I've used top round. What are some ways that you're using those larger cuts? Like the, the rounds, either the top or bottom that, uh, maybe folks should probably try out. Cause it, maybe it's something that, uh, that it just seems a little off the wall. What are you doing with your larger cuts? Uh, you know, I, I would say I would take the same approach. It's boring, you know, the, the roast, it's, it could be a boring thing, but uh, one thing I, I think people should just start kind of experimenting with, uh, you know, with, with, with rubs and, and, and marinades and that kind of thing. Uh, but when it comes to, to the larger cuts, you know, you could cut those into steaks um, you, you, there's a lot you could do with them, but, but I, I tend to like the roast only because, uh, I feel like you're, you're, they're a little more forgiving, you know, when you, when you kind of let the, 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 the meat cook and, uh, you know, get, get the temperature right, uh, put it, put a nice rub on it. Don't overcomplicate it. Uh, I, I, I think that's when you end up with, with, with the best best results gotcha so keeping it all whole as i as i cook it either you know low and slow on the the char the 
charcoal grill or something or in the smoker and at that point cut it off into steaks as I serve it. Um, right. Yeah. You could go so many ways with it. Uh, I, I've never done it, but I, I think I, you could probably try doing it on the smoker. You know, that might be a, another interesting way to go at it just to, to get a little extra flavor onto it. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I, I like to keep it simple. Uh, let, let the meat do, let the meat do the talking. I think that's spoken like a true chef right there. Anytime that I've got somebody that really knows their food always ends up coming out and saying like, just let the food be what it is. Try not to, to hide it so much. Try not to like doctor it up, but let it be what it is. If it's a large piece of venison, then, you know, cook it like a large piece of venison. So right. I love to hear when, uh, when folks say that. So excellent. Excellent. This is a all of a sudden, this is a great transition right into my crescendo of our episode here. This is the two dish Uh-oh. breakdown where basically I give you a category and you got to tell me what you're going to do with it. For okay. the first dish, it is sticking with venison. And I want to know, number one, your favorite cut of venison. Second, how are you going to prepare it? And then you can take, you can take us on, uh, on, you know, a little bit of the, explain your technique on, on what you're going to be doing with it and what you're serving it with. But I want to know your favorite cut and what you're doing with it. I, I, I honestly, I like the eye round. Um, I know I mentioned it earlier just because I think it's, uh, it's a little underappreciated. Um, and it's, it's tender, but you know, at the same time, it's 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 got great flavor. It's got that beefy flavor to it. Um, and I'm going to use a technique that I've done with beef uh, on a few occasions, and um, it's sous vide. So it's it it sounds fancy, but uh, it's it's a cooking technique where you're basically temperature controlling it, right? So it's cooked in a bag and it's cooked in a water bath. And you're able to cook it to, you know, 135 degrees. Uh, and you could you could put a nice rub on it. I, I happen to like uh, rosemary, you know, black pepper, uh, salt, that kind of thing. Keep it simple, maybe a little garlic. And I'm going to cook it in that sous vide until it's perfect, 135 degrees. And But then you, you take it out and you sear it off real quick, you know, 20 seconds on each side super hot pan i like cast iron and from then from that i'll make a pan sauce kind of like what i described earlier with maybe a little red wine uh maybe a little stock and some butter and what you end up with is a perfect piece of uh you know eye round that's cooked the same temperature all throughout i know that might be out of the realm of, of some of your listeners but I think cooking sous vide is definitely uh, something that that hunters can benefit from, especially, uh, you know, with with something like venison that's a lean, you know, it kind of helps it retain its 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 moisture uh, rather than cooking it conventionally. Yeah. And that's becoming more and more feasible. I think it's I think it's gaining popularity. And I think there's been some manufacturers that have really kind of made products that you can use in your normal day kitchen. Um, yeah, are you using... the price went down a lot since you know they they came out a few years ago. You can get them probably for around a hundred bucks now. 
yeah. cake. Are you using one of the wands, or do you have one of the like large uh, immersion uh, circulators? Circul- no, mine's like a. The, the company is out of business now, but uh, it's it's a bigger wand. But you can get them now where they they take up virtually no counter space. Good deal. Because again, that's I mean, just with my small kitchen or just a, a home kitchen, it's like I don't have counter space. I I don't like things that have one job and that's right. all they do. If I'm going right. to get it, and I've I've looked at some of those. There's one. I it's got a real fancy name, but it's all Wi-Fi and right. Yeah, no, I don't I'm, I don't think you need all that. No, I'm not a big Wi-Fi you know? guy. I I even look at the. I always give, I got a couple buddies that have the pellet grills and they're yeah. like, oh, they're Wi-Fi enabled and I can yeah. do that here. I'm Maybe it's more so I'm jealous and that I just can't have one yet. So I'm <laughs> right, like, right, right. you know what? The government's looking in on that. They're going to change your temperature. Like I feel like I yeah. wear the foil hat whenever yeah. something's got uh, Wi-Fi in it. But I think That's there's the Innova, and I, yep. I'm throwing out a company out there, but anyway, I think the Innova's all press button where you don't have to have like any sort of con- connectivity. And that one right. seems, I think I saw that one at Target for like what you said, a hundred bucks or something. Yeah. They, they've gone down a lot. And I think people are kind of like, you know, either skeptical or hesitant, you know, maybe, you know, they're, they're unsure about it, but believe me when I tell you, uh, they definitely have its place in the kitchen. And I, and I think venison, because it, like I said earlier, it's such a lean, uh, protein, it, it would benefit greatly. You know, you could put a little bit of uh, butter or a little olive oil in the bag with it, and it, it just it comes out perfect every time. Awesome. It's hard so, to yeah. screw up. Sous vide, you've sold me on it. I had a couple different things I was looking, you know, a pellet grill or, yeah. you know, go with the sous vide, and you're saying go with the sous vide at this point. Yeah, do it. I've actually, I've done, uh, speaking of ribs, I've done pork ribs in, in a sous vide bag, and then I, I finished them on the grill. I bet you uh, venison ribs would be fantastic. Because with that sous vide, you can basically put them in that water. They're never going to get above the temperature that you set the water at. So, exactly. So, I mean, especially for a cut like ribs where it's like, I just need to render out as much of that waxy fat as possible. I could leave those in overnight if I wanted to at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and you'll ne- you don't have to worry about you know drying anything out. Uh, it's it's definitely a great tool for sure. All right, I love it. You hit that one out of the park, perfect. And you're, you've already sold me on uh, on picking one of those up. <laughs> nice. The second dish. This one gets a little bit more intricate. Okay. It's date night. Kids are off to Nana's, and it's just you and the missus at home, and. You get to, you get a chance to cook. All right, so you're cooking. You want to make this night just superb. You want it to go great. You're cooking in for some odd reason. You're not going out. I mean, New York is yeah, the city's <laughs> like you said, 25 minutes away. You got Michelin stars right. down there. No, forget it. You're cooking inside, but you have to stick with a wild game. You open up your freezer, but you have your pick. What wild game are you going to serve for an awesome date night? Well, definitely not venison because my wife hates it. <laughs> so that's out. Although she did like, uh, I, I did that barbecue, smoked barbecue meatloaf, the venison meatloaf the other day. She oh, actually yeah, that. that I saw that post. Oh, I was going to yeah. talk about that one too. Oh, you got a third dish, yeah. but we're going to finish on the yeah. date night. That one came Let's out focus. good. But uh, I, I think from a game point of view, I'm going rabbit. Uh, rabbit? Nah, let me, let me change up. I'm going to go duck. 
because we both like Duck a lot. So I'm going to go with Duck. Uh, I think Duck and Orange are just a classic, you know, classic combination. Uh, duck breast to me, you know, when you cooked right, you get the crispy skin and, you know, you're able to render out a lot of that fat. Uh, you know, you could use that fat to cook up some potatoes, uh, you know, a, a nice orange sauce to go with it. It's, you know, it's elegant, but it's also, you know, it's still got some, some, uh, substantial, you know, flavor behind it. Uh, that's, that's probably a, a, a good go-to for me. Nice. People are intimidated when it comes to searing up duck breast. Is there like a trick or is it just one of those things like you just got to do, you got to mess up a couple in order to get it right? Uh, I think one of the tricks that, that I learned is, is start off in a cold pan, uh, skin side down. And what you, what you do is you end up, uh, a, you make less of a mess because you don't end up like, you know, bacon splatter, you know, uh, same thing, start baking off in a cold pan. You, you, you render it at a more gentle pace. And that fat kind of has a chance to, to, to do its magic. Uh, so start the duck breast off in a cold pan, uh, skin side down. And keep it on fairly low heat uh, just to give it about, you know, because the, the, the breasts have a, a pretty, compared to like chicken, you know, they've got a pretty decent amount of fat on them. So if you don't give it a chance to render out, you're going to end up, you know, it's, it's going to be edible, but it's just not going to be, it's not going to be crispy and delicious. Gotcha. So make sure you really get that good sear on. Yeah. But, on but that take skin your side. time with it. Don't, yeah. You don't want to rush, you know, you don't want to rush something like that. You were talking a little bit about that orange sauce too, as, as well. Now you're, you're, are you squeezing basically orange juice into the pan at that point? Just like a pan sauce that you, you know, deglaze it. Are you throwing in like pieces of orange at that point or what are you going for on that? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I like to do both because, uh, you know, I, I think why, why waste an orange just by squeezing the hell out of it, you know, maybe cut up, cut up some segments to, to garnish the plate. Uh, but, you know, use the juice of it to, to, to kind of add the acidic portion of my, you know, pan sauce, but, you know, orange and butter, you know, and duck, like that's, that's, that's a home run right there. <laughs> That sounds like a complete date night right there. Going yeah. with the duck, the potatoes, with a nice the orange bottle sauce. of wine. Yeah, yeah. Now, being being from New York, is it an Italian wine or is it a French wine? No, I I I don't discriminate, man. I, I although you could probably find a nice Italian wine to pair with it, uh, but I'd probably go French. Gotcha. Just to gotcha. Keep with the uh, the theme, I guess. Something. Well, you probably wouldn't go like Cab Sav. You wouldn't go that heavy on that one you'd go no. with a lighter yeah i would go i would go with a lighter red or i i even like white uh i like white wine uh but i, w- I would definitely find something uh to 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 balance off the acidity from you know from the orange and and, and that that sort of thing and the now i'm gonna throw the third dish at you it wasn't even okay. on the paper but i you you remind me call of it an audible Making comfort food sexy, and that's exactly what you did with that meatloaf. Like I saw, I, I think I shared it even on my uh, yeah, uh, yeah my yeah. stories. I was like, story. "That's that's meatloaf." Like that thing just looked <laughs> beautiful. Talk to me how you layer that sucker up. 
I, I kept that simple. Uh, so I, like I said earlier, I'm lucky enough where I have friends that hunt. So a buddy gave me a couple packages of, uh, ground, ground meat, but he, he had, I know there's pork in there. I don't know the ratio. Uh, but I know they put a little pork in there for the extra fat. Uh, so I just mixed it up simply with, uh, some minced onion but i did that raw i you know i didn't cook them first i did them raw just cut them real small so that they have a chance to cook a little salt black pepper uh some barbecue sauce egg breadcrumbs you know like the standard meatloaf stuff and then i instead of putting the jalapenos inside of it what i ended up doing is i pressed them on top and uh that was basically strictly for visual purposes and I smoked it. Well, I wrapped, I wrapped cheese around uh, on the. I stuffed it with cheese on the inside. Put it on the smoker for about, I would say, it was about an hour. At, I don't really look at the temperature gauge too much, but it was probably about 250, 275 max. It was on there for about an hour, and I just brushed it with with barbecue sauce at the end, uh, just to let, give it a chance to glaze and caramelize a little bit. That's it. Nice. Low and slow, perfect. I was going to ask what the glaze was too. So you want barbecue sauce on that? Sure. I mean, yeah. I had, here in the Midwest, I, we throw on ketchup, which it, yeah. it does its job. But I've gone like with just straight up molasses, or even like watered down molasses, and I find yeah. like I just get, especially something that's got a little more uh, heft to it. You know, if I get if I get some of my venison burger that can handle that, like adding something even that's got that just that crust like that sweet crust onto it just really yep. amps it up. Maple syrup would probably be really good. Oh, uh, yeah. I just had barbecue. It's like one of those things. I got, I wasn't even planning on cooking it, to be honest, but uh, we had one piece of filet, beef filet in the fridge that my wife was going to eat, so I needed something. So I, I pulled that out, whipped that up, and my daughter, who's she just turned two, actually loved it, which I'm pretty stoked about. There so, you go. Uh, Keep That's that recipe cool. on hand for, yeah, for like, when it's dad at home. Exactly. Now, uh, if you're making mashed potatoes, because when I'm thinking meatloaf, I always add mashed potatoes. Yep. That's the uh, that's the Midwesterner in me. Um, what kind, what do you make your uh, mashed potatoes? Out? Are you a red skin guy, or do you like uh, like just a plain russet? Oh, uh, so. Actually, I ended up serving the the venison meatloaf. I did like a smashed sweet potato, but uh, straight straight like your traditional mashed potato. I like to use Yukon Golds, and uh, I actually I use a ricer, so or like a food mill. Yeah. So what what ends up happening is you 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 don't get the skin, uh, and you end up with a a much lighter consistency. They're not so so dense and like you know wallpaper spackle they're they're a little more elegant uh almost you know puree like because i had a, a ton of butter uh, it's a recipe that uh he, he just passed away recently but chef joel robuchon he's a, a really classic well-known french chef and he used basically equal parts butter to potato <laughs> so you can imagine that this is like super rich but uh i i don't go nearly that far with it but i i do add quite a, a bit of uh quite a bit of butter but i like yukon golds 
no skin. But that's like pretty intensive when it comes to uh, technique and, you know, have to dry the potato out before you add the butter. If I just feel like whipping up some classic, you know, down home comfort mashed potatoes, I like uh, red skin on, keep it on there, mash them up, keep it simple, stupid. Good deal. Like Just like you said, let the potato be the potato. Yeah, don't don't exactly. overdo it. You don't need a ton of butter or, or cream or anything like that. Just, you know, season them well and, and you'll be good. AJ, this has been an awesome hour. You know, I just feel like we've been able to just chat, and I've I've really got to feel your passion of being both a firefighter and a chef. Um, talk to us a little bit about where we can we can find you online. Uh, talk to us a little bit about ho or uh, excuse me, fork and hose. Uh, basically, this is like your you know your time to just plug you and uh, what you've got going with your blog. Well, Nick, I just want to say thank you for having me on because this was a blast. Anytime I could talk about uh, cooking, I'm always down, and especially with, you know, this, this you know, specialized, uh, I don't know, niche, I guess you could call it. It's It's been really fun. And you can find me on Instagram, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, although I don't really go on Twitter at all. <laughs> uh, but it's at Fork and Hose Co, C-O at the end. Uh, and like I tell everybody, please, you know, send me a DM if you have any questions or any recipes you're looking for or any tips. If I could help you out, I'd be more than happy to. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Fork and O's company. Well, hey, this has been a great time. Just hold on for for one second there, AJ, as I yep. as I send our folks out, folks. Man, we've got a lot to glean from this, both from just a, a technique standpoint to even like, how can I take my normal meatloaf and step it up a notch? Um, really dive into into what we talked about tonight and head on over to Fork and Hose and really check out some of those recipes. Uh, I, I know I'm going to be picking up a new piece of equipment here in one of those sous vides. He finally sold me on that. I got someone to really say this is worthwhile. But... Uh, Folks, as you take your stuff to the next level, make sure you're you're writing down what you're uh, what you're making. And if you get a new piece of equipment, make sure you try and use it more than just one way. And whatever you're chopping or slicing, always make sure that knife is sharp. <laughs>